Hello and welcome to The Gist. I'm your host, Chris Vetrano, here every week to break down all the things that are happening in pop culture and interviewing the people that make it pop. I'm so excited to welcome today's guest to the podcast because when he shares his takes on anything, housewives, 90s nostalgia, or even frozen baked pastries, I feel like we're quite literally sharing a brain. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an actor, and his podcast, Everything Iconic, is a pop culture phenomenon all in itself. His new book, The Jolliest Bunch, Unhinged Holiday Stories, is out on October 24th. Can't wait to talk to him about it. So please welcome to The Gist, Danny Pellegrino. Hey, Danny. Hi, Chris. I'm so happy to be here and chat with you. But before we even get into anything else, I need to know about (laughs) these frozen desserts. Like what, was there a specific (laughs) frozen dessert you're referring to? Well, um, the baked pastries, the empanadas, um, and then, which I, I feel like um, we shared. Emma's empanadas. Yes, I feel like we shared some. Uh, I had to try them after hearing your your reviews. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Pop-Tarts. You are, oh. uh, I feel like you're like the official spokesperson now for Pop-Tarts. I wish I was. I wish they would pay me. And by the way, Pop-Tarts, <laughs> I just got the new pumpkin. I don't know if they're called pumpkin pie or pumpkin spice. You know how all these companies mm-hmm. have the pumpkin thing. But I just tried the pumpkin pop tart for the first time and i honestly think they're really good and i don't i shouldn't be promoting them so much and i know they're <laughs> terrible for you i don't know what's in them i don't sure many people do but the pumpkin ones are very good yes i i can't are those frosted i can't remember if those have yeah they're frosted yeah i don't do the ones that aren't frosted i'm not interested yeah. Yeah. same yeah it needs yeah. to be sweet um, but awesome. I'm so thrilled to have you because you are the, the podcast sort of like pioneer in this space. And so, um, it's been so, it's been so wonderful to follow all of that. And then obviously your books and I, we're going to get into the book and talk about some, I mean, there are, it's truly unhinged. Some of the stories oh, yeah, in yeah, here, yeah, um, yeah. I have been laughing out loud reading it. Um, but I also want to just talk quickly on the podcast and how you got started. I'd love to just hear like, where did that come from? Where did you have the idea? And then, because pretty quickly you had, I think like Greg Bennett was on it pretty early on and like you were already having guests. So I'd love to hear a little bit of the backstory and how all of that got started for you. Yeah. You know, I had been living in Los Angeles for a handful of years and I'd been doing stand up and sketch comedy around town. And it was really, I was, I was finding it very challenging to sort of navigate that world because uh, as you're starting out, it's like I was doing shows for very small groups of people. I was doing sketch shows at 11 p.m. or or I was doing stand-up at midnight and I would be the, there was one show I remember doing, I, I think it was at the comedy store on Sunset, but it was like I was the 15th comedian on this bill on, on this thing. And mm. I was at the very end of the night. I was the last one to go on and it was not a headliner situation. It was like the worst comedian was at the end or not, you know, like the whatever. (laughs) So long story short, I just was finding it challenging of doing that kind of routine for so long. And I had, it sort of um, came together when I was uh, having some personal struggles, some depression. And at that point in my life, I thought I'm never going to perform again. I'm done. A friend had told me you should think about starting a podcast because you could do some sort of your bits or your jokes from your home and you don't have to get out of bed. You don't have to go to these shows at midnight or later. Uh, And so eventually as I sort of got through the depression and stuff, I, I picked up a microphone and started podcasting and I didn't know really if any, it would go anywhere or if it would do anything. I was kind of just doing it to kind of learn the medium and I had a little bit of an Instagram following because I'd been making a lot of memes and stuff mm-hmm. on Instagram. And so uh, 
I was able to get some people to listen to the podcast and then people just started sharing and it started growing more so than I would have thought. And I'm so grateful to some of the people that came on early. You mentioned Greg Bennett. I love Greggy and uh, he was kind enough to come on and, and there were a couple of housewives. I remember um, Margaret Josephs was like a new housewife at the time. And so she was willing to come on the podcast or there were different people that I maybe had some connection to uh, just from living in California for so long. Um, people that I know, I would just beg people to come on the show very early on. And, and some people were kind enough to do it, but I also tried to do episodes where it would just be me. And so I, I wasn't reliant on a guest if, if I couldn't find someone. Yeah. And do you feel like it's taken, I mean, it, I, I'm sure it has, but like the evolution of the show, obviously now you have, I mean, there, I, I feel like there's probably guests that you would love to still have, but you can pretty much get anyone I feel. And like, do you feel like that evolution was really intentional, like where you made some changes to the format or did it just sort of evolve naturally? No, I think it sort of evolved naturally. I always have had a mix of guests and solo episodes. And uh, even those very first the two episodes, I had guests. I, a guy named Bob Harper, who's a celebrity trainer. He was a host on The Biggest Loser and also a trainer on there. And so I, I had guests from the beginning, but as I mentioned, it was like, sometimes I just couldn't book anyone or I, I didn't know how. So I would do and mix in sort of stories about my life or recapping a lot of reality TV, which is, I think, a lot of how people found me. Uh, but it's interesting. Now I've been doing this for five plus years. I don't know how long it's been. Um, but at new people to my show, sometimes I'll put out a, an interview episode and people will be like, what's this? Or why are you interviewing someone? Or I like the recaps. And I'm like, I've mm-hmm. always been doing the interviews, but, and I tried to put those in um, if maybe I can't get to a recap or something, but, but really the way that's evolved is early on, I had guests that I was begging to come on and, and now I'm, I try to only have guests that I'm really interested in talking to and, and I think that's one of the benefits of not being tied to having a guest for every episode is I could yeah. just really talk to people that I want to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. No, I feel I feel very similar. I just started this podcast um, at the beginning of the year and so haven't been doing it long. And I feel like I've already kind of gone through that evolution where I did, I naturally was like, I'm going to talk about pop culture and the things that like have driven me in pop culture. And then that sort of turned into like having guests and, and then it became more interview style and, uh, and then people kept saying like, oh, I love when you're like talking about Bravo. And I'm like, I know, but there's ever, everyone's doing that. And there's like people that do it better than me. So like, I don't want to just do that. And then like Scandaval hits and then it's like, oh, you got to like dedicate time. And the recaps like become the, like the ones that people are listening to. And then it's like, oh, you have to figure out like, are you doing it for them? Are you doing it for you? And like, what is kind of the right sort of balance? And I, I feel like you have found that because you do have you know, these incredible guests and these awesome interviews, and then you still maintain sort of all the recaps and doing, you know, talking about pop culture on your own as well. Thank you. That Scandaval really took the wind out of our sails for a little while. It was just like so exhausting, so fun, (laughs) but exhausting. But I always think you really got to follow your gut. And over the years when I've tried to sort of pivot because I'm getting messages, people are saying, oh, I don't like that person, or I just want recaps, or I don't like recaps or whatever. There's always going to be differing opinions and stuff. So I always just try to go like, what do I want to do? And if there's a guest that I want to talk, sometimes those are my favorite ones, like a guest that I have on that I'm really so excited to talk about, but that 
I might know that I'm not sure the listeners really care, but I always just try to follow my gut. And then it always ends up surprising me. It'll be maybe not the biggest celebrity name or something, but because maybe I was passionate about it, then I'll hear from the listeners being like, I didn't know if I was going to listen to this and I ended up really liking it. So the lesson is to just, I think, always follow your gut and do the show for you. And then hopefully other people will, will like it as too, like it too. Absolutely. And um, speaking of Scandaval, you were like essentially in the eye of the storm because you uh, had the book, Fancy AF Cocktails. You were part of all of that. And then it became this like meme online of people like taking Sandoval out of that. How did you sort of balance being a part, like a partnership of the, with these two people and also while everything's going on? Well, I think the good news was that the book had been out for a long time. So it wasn't like I was currently uh, working on the book with them. Um, but I don't know. I just, so I, with the recaps and anytime I'm talking about Bravo stuff, I really do try to keep it to like what's on the show or if there is some sort of big news stories. I try to keep it to like what's going on, almost like they're characters, you know, mm-hmm. because I think it can be hard if you do know them personally or, yeah, they're especially with reality TV because people can be edited so much. So sometimes I'll be watching and I'll be thinking that's not how they are, or that is how they are, or they're mm-hmm. not showing the full side of them. So I try to just judge based off of what's going on on the show or or the big news items. Um, but with something like that, it is hard because I do know I did know them both pretty well, or know them both pretty well, and uh, so it was a weird situation. Yeah. And do you ever feel like you get like censored on your own show because of the personal relationships? Like I know you had Gina on and you addressed calling her Casita on the podcast and stuff like, but have you ever felt like, oh, I shouldn't say something on the podcast because I have a bit of a more personal relationship with this person? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't feel that at all. I try to make the show really silly and funny. And I try not to say anything that I would be uncomfortable saying to their faces. So even with like Gina from the real house of orange County, like I've called her Casita forever. And I think it's really silly and funny and it comes from her on the show. Um, so yeah, I told her when, when she came on the show and, and she was cool about it, but yeah, I, I, I suppose I try my best to not say anything in general that, if I were to see these people out and about, I would feel too bad about, but I'm sure I cross the line sometimes and I'm sure I've said things that I shouldn't have, but um, we're just trying, I'm just trying to make people laugh and have some, an hour of escapism uh, with the recap. So hopefully people take it in, in good fun. And a couple of times, I mean, I've had people confront me. I, Tamara came on my show and she, you know, (laughs) said, you, why don't you like me or something like that? And we had it out a little bit, but she also, took it really well, which I thought was great. Or there's been other housewives. I there Even in the wild, sometimes somebody, you know, living in California, I, I had one housewife I won't name, but um, I saw her out and she kind of waved her finger at me. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I heard what you said. But um, so, yeah, I sometimes I think can cross the line, uh, what I yeah. say, but I, I try to keep it fun and silly. And I yeah. also try to make fun of myself too. If I'm making fun of anyone else, I try to also just like, if I'm making some fun of someone's clothes, I always say like, I don't fucking know about clothes. Like I, I, I do my best. So I'm not like, you know, an right. expert in this, but I think that's ugly. But wh- who do I, what do I know? 
Right, right, right. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting. I was going to ask if you had ever heard from any of them because, but at the same time, because I have heard that before, especially in the housewives world, like you'll they'll slide into the DMs and they have like a lot of opinions about you know something that you said, and it's like, well, you did that on the show, and that is like what you whether you were portrayed that way or you actually like you know are that kind of person that's the character that's coming across. So when you sign up for the reality show, you're kind of are opening yourself up for that kind of judgment or, you know, comments and, and in your sort of style. And I, I try to believe in that same sort of value of like, it's all in fun. It's all because like, if we're not laughing at what's happening on Bravo and what we're doing, like, then what are we actually doing? Cause it's meant to be fun and silly. It's like we're not watching anything that, that serious. And, and I try to, if I'm not into a show at the time, I just won't cover it. Like if I think the season's kind of bland or something and I'm like, I I don't want to cover it. If I'm going to come to the microphone and be like a Danny Downer about it, (laughs) I don't want to cover it. Um, so I just will, will not talk about that housewives franchise or, or whatever it is. But, um, the other thing I've learned actually with the whole Bravo world very early on was that they will slide into your DMS and oftentimes it's to like, control a narrative. And so that's mm-hmm. another reason why I think it's so important to sort of, sort of block out anything else and just go based off of what's on the show or, or kind of in the bigger press because yeah. um, they will, sometimes the housewife will try to give me some information or um, DM me some sort of information about something that happens in the upcoming season. And it's like, I know what they're, I understand what they're yeah. doing. They're trying to get ahead of a story or they're trying right. to get people on their side or, or sometimes they'll try to buddy up to like some of the podcasters or big social media accounts so that they give favorable opinions. So, you know, I'm, I understand that. And I think it's important um, when I'm talking about it. That's why, I, again, to just keep it to what's on the show. Yeah. Neutral. Um, well, last like kind of housewives things, just curious about like some quick takes on um you know the the current ones like we had you we talked a little bit about Tamara so we don't have to go too far but Tamara's return on OC and kind of where OC is is kind of coming as it wraps I love Orange County this season I, I to me this was really the return to form that they sort of promised last season with Heather coming back I think Tamara is very divisive and as I said, she had come on my show and confronted me after she was let go because I was one of the people being like, oh, I'm so tired. We need to, Tamara needs a break, whatever. And then I, I realized Tamara is very much a divisive person, but she does keep those storylines moving and keeps that show running, I think. And so even people, if you are out there and you're like, I fucking hate Tamara, I would just encourage that maybe we need people that sometimes we hate on these shows for the shows to be moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what about the new cast of Roni? You know, I haven't, I think Roni, I, I didn't, haven't liked this season and I know that's not a popular opinion. And I, I think the casting is great, but I of course loved the original Roni. Right, And I'm always so hesitant to talk about this because I know people feel very passionate. They really like it. And I think in season two, we might have ourselves a season. But the season one, my main issue with it is we're going on, we're having 14 episodes this season. Okay. Right. And it's essentially a new show. And if you look at the history of like um, Orange County and Atlanta, though, or, or even I think New York did too, they, those shows launched with like eight episode first seasons. Right. 
First seasons are usually a little slow and boring because we're getting to know the gals. I think New Jersey launched with 10 episodes, but they, of course, had that table flip, which is like a once in a lifetime thing, but still only 10 episodes. And so with something like The New Roni, that's essentially a new show. And I'm like, why are they doing 14 episodes? Because I think if they would have just kind of jammed the season into eight, I personally, I would have liked it more and I think it would have moved quicker and it would have left us wanting more. But I'm like, why are we doing 14 episodes? Because these, I I think, my opinion is that they're dragging and that there's not much going on. And I could sort of see the producer mechanics at play of like trying to make a meal out of a snack or, you know, trying to make a big thing out of something. I mean, there was that charcuterie thing at the beginning, which I kind of felt like was the producer saying, we don't really have anything else. And um, so let's make this into like a comical fight about charcuterie. And to me, it screamed like, we don't have anything else. Where if you look at something like Salt Lake City Housewives, their first season, that very first episode had like this hospital smell fight. To me, that was like organically quirky. It wasn't like producers trying to like, we need to find something quirky for the show. And so I look at it through that. I'm like, I don't think the producers think this is a good show. Like, that's my opinion. No one's of course said that. Um, So with all of that said... I do think season two could be really great. I I actually think the casting is fantastic. There was some trouble because one housewife that was cast initially they filmed with was then let go. Um, So people are saying, you know, gotta give it grace because they had to lose all those episodes. It's like, well, it's not my job to like be giving them a hundred episodes to make it exciting. Like they need to get, make it exciting for us. So, so that's where I stand. Are you liking it, Chris? I, I do like it better than I thought because I thought like, how are we going to ever move to something new from what we had? Because we'll never have, you know, Ramona and Dorinda and Sonia and you just like, and Luann, I mean, you will never recreate that. And so I was worried it was going to be too much of people trying to be those characters. And I'm glad that they're not doing that, but I agree. I mean, like we're on the vacation for like the, you know, it's like four episodes or something. It feels like we're on the same vacation where to your point, it's like, could we make that two episodes and like cut a bunch of this other content and filler out? Cause yeah. it does feel like a lot of filler. Um, but I think they, and you can also tell that like, there's not a lot of natural bonds. Yeah. And I think there, it's also very jarring because uh, the original iteration of Roni, it was so chaotic and uh, I used to call it Roni whiplash because they would fight about something and then two seconds later be either fighting about something new or making up with each other. And then there'd be another layer of fights. Like, yeah. Or there's this infamous scene from their Cartagena trip and uh, they are fighting at the table. It's like Dorinda and Luann fighting at one end of the table, yeah. and then Carol and Bethany at the other, and then Tinsley's kissing Sonia in the middle. <laughs> and it, so it's like, that's the kind of show that we were used to when it came to Roni and the new Roni is just not chaotic. There's not many storylines. It's one storyline about one of the wives taking the other one's cell phone and that's it. They're all kind of talking about that one thing. Yeah. And that works on a lot of the other franchises like Beverly Hills tends to be singular focused on their Mm -hmm. episodes, but, but it is a huge shift for somebody who is watching uh, the show or who has always watched Roni, it's like, that's, it's not the same pace at all. And yeah. it's not a bad thing, but it's going to take us all some time to adjust. So I, I sort of felt crazy, especially during those first couple of episodes when everyone's like, it's the best show. I'm like, 
I, I'm still kind of getting my bearings and I, don't, I you know, and I just yeah. felt like everybody was so excited, which good that we're excited about it, but. Yeah, I think we're excited about the girls, maybe like, and less about what we have. Yeah, you're right. Would be how I like, I because I agree. I like there isn't the Cartagena. I mean, Scary Island. Like, there's so much always happening, and I I think, um, you know, I've heard this before, but I feel like they should have called it season one. Yeah, and they should have like it's a new show, and we're like. To, for somebody that's going to go rewatch later, it's like not going to make, and it's going to be a very strange transition. But like I that's always, where I yeah, jump. And I always feel you're so right. I, it should be a, a separate show name. Uh, and I always feel like with Bravo in general, they don't always do a good job of explaining things. And because mm-hmm. I hear from so many people, people who even listen to my podcast and listen to me recapping these shows. Oftentimes they're messaging me because they're not so in tune with like the press cycle of stuff. They might just listen to my podcast and watch the show when they're folding laundry. And so they don't always know like the goings on. So something like even Vanderpump Rules is like they didn't, they didn't know why half the cast was fired, but they never explained on the show. And similarly with Roni, they never really, they don't get into any of that. It's presented as Roni or as Real Houses of New York. But I always just think of the person who's watching casually who's like what the fuck happened here why don't they explain something yeah like what happened to all those characters that i was like supposed to be so invested in in the last episode i watched from imagine general hospital just like totally or or what's um is susan lucci on all my children or general hospital i always mix it up but it's like imagining just that the cast leaving and all of a sudden you're turning it on in the heyday and you're like where's susan lucci and where are all these people that i've become so invested they just completely left pine valley or wherever yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I, and kind of moving to the next one, cause you kind of mentioned the Cartagena trip, which is where I feel like we're getting with, um, the, the Trixie motel of it all at, on oh. Salt Lake city. How are you feeling about this season? Cause I think we were coming out of a pretty rough road out of the last season and I was a little worried, but where do you feel like we've landed this season? I feel like Salt Lake really gives me that that quirky thing that I was missing from the old Roni and all the characters are crazy and weird and I love them. I just find it so exciting and it moves super quickly. The one thing with Salt Lake, I I wonder if those people who maybe are doing their dinner or folding their laundry, if if it's easy for them to keep up with everything on Salt Lake because it's moving right. just at a rapid pace, which I personally love. Yeah. Uh, but so I think we're in a good spot. I think Jen was taking a lot of, taking up a lot of the air in the room with uh, everything going on. And so it gives the other women um, a chance to breathe and a chance to kind of have more layers to the show. So I think we're in a great spot. I'm so excited about the rest yeah. of the season, sort of anecdotally from, you know, people who work on these shows and stuff behind the scenes, everyone seems to think the season of Salt Lake is really good. So I, I'm excited about what's to come. Yeah. And I think Monica was like the perfect casting choice to sort of bridge the gap of the Jen Shaw, like where you say, like, cause actually, um, you know, like recently Jenny was back in the news Ugh. for like showing up at some like Whitney Rose event or whatever. And, uh, and I, and I literally was like, oh, I forgot about Jenny. And like, we <laughs> never got like any kind of like conclusion to her story or that why she's not on it. And, and it was like, oh, I forgot about Jenny. And like, there she is popping up. But I feel like Monica was the right thing because she can 
she can talk about Jen Shah and sort of bridge a lot of the relationships and how they might fall apart as a result of, you know, things that Jen had said in the past and stuff. So I, I'm loving it. And I think like, I mean, she just keeps dropping these bombs and I'm like, okay, we need, I could follow her for the hour and just be entertained. Um, but yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving seeing like, you know, Meredith engaging finally. And, you know, I just, I feel like you said, like Jen took a lot of the air and now I feel like people are showing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Meredith, I realized this season, she's like a, an A-list, an A-plus level housewife. Like she, to me, all of a sudden, I don't know if she just stepped into her role at Trixie Motel and I've always liked her, but I'm like, oh, now she's giving like all time great housewife to me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even just like when they first arrive and she comes out of her room and the other girls are sitting poolside and she like looks at them silently and like gives them this like nod and goes, I'm just like, I felt every emotion in that scene. Like she's doing some serious camera work that I am loving. And And so unpredictable. It's like, you don't know what accent you're going to get. You don't know (laughs) what kind of look you're going to get. You just don't know anything. Oh, the dinner was incredible. That's so good. Um, and and having Mary back, I think, is like that sort of X factor that Salt Lake I like. Um, and right. I think she works best in a friend role, Mary. Yeah, because I think otherwise we go too dark. And I think that we need her just sort of like on the surface. Yeah. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, well, switching gears a little bit, because like I said at the top, like, some of the things that you post and that you talk about from pop culture past, it's like, I, I feel like I'm, re- and I mean, even in the book, in this book, I um, feel like I'm reading stories of myself. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I've been excited about, which I'm going to kick off um, with the NSYNC reunion. How are, how are you feeling? Yeah. What are you, you know, what are you hoping for? Cause there's a lot of rumors of like, is there more coming or d- is this it? Do we just get the song and the, you know, hot ones or, you know, now Super Bowl has been announced. It's not NSYNC as some people thought it might be. Um, you know, where are you at with the NSYNC reunion? Well, I'm so thrilled that we're getting even just JC sort of coming out of retirement because he's my turtleneck <laughs> prince. I love that man. And he's been sort of in hiding outside of his Meow Mix commercials, <laughs> which is a tale for another time. But I'm happy yeah. that they're they're doing some sort of thing back. I, I, I still feel like it's a tour. I know it's been back and forth because I've seen conspiracy theories online. People are saying like, don't say it's a tour. It's not a tour. It's It's just the one song. But then I think like they must have hired a, a PR and a, a PR for the band. So obviously like Justin has his own PR, but the group now has a PR that they have actively working for them because they were right. booked on hot ones and VMAs. And you don't just book a that, I don't think to just do one hot ones. So I would imagine there has to be like a larger plan. Right. I mean, I know Joey Fatone was at 90s Con a couple of weeks ago and mentioned he got asked in a Q&A about it. And he said something like, you know, Justin's about to release a new album, so he's going to have to go on a promo cycle for that and probably a tour for that. We hear and he was like, we hear you. You guys want an NSYNC tour. We like have heard you. I hope that we'll do one, but we don't have it. And so you know, I'm wondering, like, are they going to try to fold it into, like, Justin's promo for his solo album and then have it be, like, an NSYNC Justin, like, tour? But I wonder how you feel about that, given, you know, I don't think I have to ask if you were between Justin and JC because of the acknowledgments in your new book. I think it speaks very clearly uh, oh, yeah. which side you were on. Um, I did dedicate 
uh, the Christmas book to my JC, um, JC Chazet. The reason for the season. Uh, the reason for the season. Yes. Have you listened to the Ensign Christmas album Under the Tree? I mean, come uh, on. I mean, every year. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely team JC and I use, I think I agree with you. And my sort of conspiracy theory was that Justin has tour dates booked, but I thought I, um, for next year, I thought they were throwing us off the scent with that. Like I was think they probably booked them under his name Yeah, for NSYNC to do them. Or maybe there's some sort of hybrid, like you mentioned, where it's like J- Justin's going on tour, but then maybe we get NSYNC and it becomes like, I think these shows have to become bigger and bigger. We look at this summer with Beyonce and Taylor Swift and their tours were the biggest tours in, in ages. And I, I think it's like, because there's such a specialness to those two, not to say that Justin couldn't do something special on his own, but I think there is some sort of world where maybe he is doing like a big tour. That's his music and NSYNC or I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know how it, how it goes because I feel like, you know, and you, there's people like you that are, were firmly like, what happened to JC? He was the front man. He was the number one guy in the group. And, you know, to go to a show where like NSYNC is more of a feature on the Justin Timberlake solo tour. It'd be hard. Yeah. I feel like that would be strange, but, um, but I think maybe people would take it whatever way they could get it. Whatever way they can get it. But I also just want to uh, reiterate or, or, um, recommend that whatever they are doing for the performances, we need to make sure JC's mic is up because I've noticed even when NSYNC did that like VMA thing, like 10 years mm-hmm. ago, they turned down JC's mic and it was like, Justin's mic is loud and clear and whatever it is, if J- JC does want to sort of be in the background a little bit, or if it is Justin's tour featuring NSYNC, I just need to make sure JC's mic is up. It needs to be at least as loud as Justin for whatever we're getting in the future. Need to <laughs> okay. say that. That that's noted. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't I didn't like <laughs> as if you're the... in charge of this, Chris. I'm like yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, the audio engineer. Know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I, I'm so thrilled to see them back. And you know, I I don't want it to be a Justin tour though, because that's what I'm worried. I worry that it would be like Justin doing like trying to be relevant today, doing whatever, you know, his album is gonna sound like. And then like NSYNC nostalgia. And I don't know if those two things are going to go together. So I'd rather it just be, you know, the NSYNC nostalgia. And were you always like an NSYNC over Backstreet Boys or did you have different feelings? Yeah, I think I was, I I mean, I always lean more towards NSYNC, but with that said, I, I also love my BSB and specifically, I think AJ has like one of the best voices ever. I I'm obsessed with AJ from Backstreet Boys, the sexiest grasp or rasp is that what you say rasp his Mm -hmm. voice i just love his voice so specifically and kevin was like a sexual awakening for me i was very attracted to kevin from bsb oh wow um so yes i so i do love them and they have some good songs but my heart does lean towards nsync yeah same i uh i'm surprised about the kevin though because i feel like kevin was always like the one that they sort of like said was like the ugly one well i guess howie maybe was i always yeah i always felt like howie was (laughs) even though howie is very attractive but we were all bamboozled i mean because i've been noticing lately i'm not proud of this but i've just been sort of having an awakening with joey fatone Mm -hmm. and i'm finding him very sexy lately i don't know he's kind of got a salt and pepper kind of thing going on but i never once found him attractive when i was younger and now i'm like oh my god look at joey so yeah. yeah i don't know um kevin the Backstreet Boys, what was that uh, 
video quit playing games with my heart where they were like dancing in the rain yeah mm-hmm. and they had their blouses opened everyone but nick nick was like fully um dressed well, he was like, like underage i think at that point. was yeah well okay wait chris this is so weird uh because i was just on tiktok last night and just because we're i justin timberlake somebody had posted a video where it was like his evolution and i didn't even realize how young he was like when he came out with like I love you. I think it, they said he was eighteen or something. I was like, "What?" Because he's older than me, so I always just assumed that he was older. Right. But yeah, yeah. I'm like, how was he? Justin was only eighteen. Yeah. Maybe he was they were, nineteen. I mean, they were teenagers, and, and that was his solo. So in NSYNC, he was even younger. I'm like, that was crazy. To me, they were always just older. Yeah. No. I mean, I feel like Nick was like maybe me. I mean, I I don't have Wikipedia open, but I would say you know. 14 or something in that that's crazy and i think that's why he's like the one buttoned up and they were so probably that like, makes that's sense. probably too too young to to put him on display like that but um, i was also very attracted to this isn't popular either but i was attracted to 98 degrees because they were always sort of muscly i think they had like you know i just the arm muscles and they always had yeah. i was attracted to jeff specifically yeah of course i mean i think that like I mean, I feel like that's what they sold. They sold like the sex and the, you know, the arms and that was like their thing. That was like who they were. Whereas, everyone like, yeah. but the everyone but the one guy who was was serving realtor, 40 year old realtor. Like. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, he like did not fit in either. He just he always felt like he he was the Andrea Zuckerman. Of, Justin, I think his uh, name was. 98 degrees. He was. Uh, so much older than everyone else. Yeah. Joey Fatone lately, especially at the VMAs, uh, my friend, Emily, who's a huge fan of yours, by the way, she was freaking out when I told her that um, we were doing this today. And uh, she, she showed me a picture of Joey Fatone over the weekend. I was like, I feel like Joey Fatone is bringing it all of a sudden. There's some sexiness happening. There's something, I don't know. He just grew into the look. I even was watching hot ones and I was like, Joey's really giving it to me. And of course, JC is still my number one, but. Joey's given me some. Even after the Meow Mix, which is surprising. (laughs) They sent me a, I have a Meow Mix shirt, but like it's got, so JC did the commercials for Meow Mix where he's like the boy bander cat or something. And they sent me a shirt, but it's like not, it doesn't have JC on it. It just has like these singing cats. And I'm like, well, I can't just wear a shirt that has singing cats on it because then you have to explain like this. One of them is supposed to be JC Shazay. It's like too much explanation. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was an SNL skit when I first saw it. I thought it was like, he like had come back for one of those like digital shorts on SNL. And then we were like, Oh, this is a real commercial that he's doing. I mean, it was, it was wild. But, I mean, the fact that he's doing Meow Mix, I just, I want him back in the public consciousness and, and where he deserves to be and yeah. making music. And I want to hear that silky voice. I'd love to, yeah. you know, I think it'd be hard for him to relaunch with a pop career, but I would like to see him put out something like a standards album or, or mm. kind of go in that, this is not going to be popular, but like go in that sort of maybe do a Christmas album, like a solo Christmas project or do like a Broadway album or like kind of one of those themey things to bring them back into the consciousness and then expand from there. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe that was what the intention was with Meow Mix was like, let's bring him back. Relaunch. And we've got the sync relaunch and, then maybe he maybe he's got more planned. So fingers crossed. Oh, your mouth to JC's ears. <laughs> um, so and then so one thing I don't know if I like know where you stand on this, but 
was a huge part of my pop culture sort of influence. Uh, Britney, where do you stand with oh, the Britney of it all? Love Britney. Um, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I was raised by Britney and I love her. I just, I'm excited. Her book comes out the same day as mine, which I, I know. really love. <laughs> um, my parents ordered her book and not my own, which is a, <laughs> um, a problem. Like I had to log into their account and I, my mom, they, my mom can't work all the technology stuff. So she right. was asking me to help her with the returns. She's like, can you you know figure this out? So I log in her Amazon. It's a like two pre-order open orders, Britney Spears book. And I was like, mom, you guys ordered like not just one, they ordered two copies and they don't even <laughs> like listen to Britney Spears or anything. My mom's like, Oh Dan, I saw it. You know, she got a, I saw it on entertainment tonight or something. And I'm like, well, what about my book? Well, maybe Linda was trying to surprise you for Christmas. Maybe it was oh good. Like she just gift. wanted a free copy. She wanted, <laughs> she, she knew she was getting a free copy of mine. Um, but no, I love Britney. I'm excited to read her book. And I just, I always just want whatever is best for her, whatever she wants and is happy. And I'm just always like constantly rooting. And I've always heard such wonderful things, even from friends who have maybe like worked peripherally with her at Mm -hmm. different news stations or um, entertainment outlets or whatever, or have interviewed her. It's like, everybody always just says like how sweet she is. And so I'm always just rooting for her because I, I think she's just such a sweet soul. Yeah. I, I always hear the same too. I feel like anyone in like, I used to be in the music industry and, you know, people always said like when she was in the studio, she's very professional. She's got a lot of ideas. She, you know, is not like what everyone kind of talks about. She's, I mean, I could do a whole episode on her, which I probably will at some point, just because there's so much to dissect with Britney and the celebrity and versus like an artist and all of that. But, um, but yeah. And Chris, wait, don't you think that's rare though? You, you mentioned working in the music industry oftentimes that's not the case when somebody comes up in conversation. Yeah. So to have like a pretty um, big consensus that you're always like nice and kind and sweet is pretty rare. I think. Yeah. It's um, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to hear those things though, because of what like obviously the media and what is always out about her is not focused on positive overall. So it's always nice when you hear kind of those behind the scenes stories where people don't have to, you know, put on Mm -hmm. anything and like, they don't have to say something nice because, you know, the cameras aren't rolling and no one's recording and, um, and they could say whatever they want, but it always seems to be pretty positive, which is good to hear. What's your favorite Britney song? Oh, we do this all the time and I feel like it changes. Um, I mean, like, I think it's like cliche to say baby one more time, but it's just like it, it introduced me. I mean, I bought the single and, you know, it, everything took off from there for me. Like I felt like I finally, um, I didn't end up coming out until I was 30, but I feel like in that moment I came out with myself when I, when I heard baby one more time for the first time, I was like, this is, I finally know who I am. I love that. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I love that song too. I think just love me is my favorite Mm -hmm. of hers. It's, um, wasn't a single, but I, I love it. But uh, all of her music, I mean, I think, yeah, Stronger, Baby uh, baby One More Time, um, Born to Make You Happy really makes me happy. Some of that yes. older stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the book because um, you mentioned Linda. She makes, you know, several appearances in here. 
Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, you. you obviously have a very close relationship with Christmas. Um, it can be a bit of an emo- emotional recol- roller coaster, as we learn in the book um, for you. But tell me kind of why, you know, did you pick this specific time frame to sort of pull the stories from and share them with the world now? You know, I had written a book called How Do I Unremember This that came out last year. And um, I noticed the thing that sort of resonated most with people were these family stories. And as I was writing it, I was inspired by people like um, David Sedaris and Gene Shepard, kind of like these um, weird things that happen in your life that you kind of hone and focus in on. And so there, it's not, none of my books are like memoir exactly. It's not like about how I start a podcast or something. They're more stories that are supposed to make you laugh and, uh, or make you feel something. And um, when I was writing that first book, there were a few different chapters that were about holiday times because I was writing about family and and stories about family. And I didn't, I obviously couldn't include like a hundred Christmas stories in that first book. And so I always kind of very early on knew that I wanted to do like a holiday collection. I love a, a book by David Sedaris, Holidays on Ice. He has like his own Christmas collection, but there aren't a lot of uh, essay collections or story collections centered around the holidays. And what I love about that David Sedaris book is that every holiday season, I can pick it up and kind of read it again the same way that I do with like holiday movies. I have to watch Home Alone every year, or, you know, those mm-hmm. classics that you my family always watches Christmas vacation together or, or whatever the, those movies are. And so I wanted to have a, a book that people could pick up sort of every year and have some laughs, maybe um, laugh at their own family or remind them of their own family stories. But um, so that's kind of the evolution of it. But some of these stories were things that I wrote for the first book that I sort of saved. I, and then even once I had finished that first book, I just kept writing um these new stories. So there wasn't much of a break. So hopefully they feel sort of tonally similar to the first book, but, but I love the holiday season. They're very high emotions. So it's like, if you love the holidays, I think hopefully you'll read this book and feel the love. But if you hate the holidays, hopefully you'll also read this book and be like, Oh my God, yes, it's a nightmare and laugh at sort of the absurdity around it. But it's such heightened emotions around the holidays because you're trying to craft the perfect days and, it's impossible to do and you're forced together with family a lot of the times, which can be its own sort of chaos. And so I think um, I love the holiday season for all of those reasons. I think there's so much comedy to be seen around the holidays. And so, yeah. yeah. Did I answer yeah. the question? You did. You did. Okay. Yes. And uh, you know, and sometimes not even just forced to be with families. Sometimes you're forced to be with strangers for, you know, a 30 something hour car ride. Um, the, uh, chapter about Claudia, I was laughing out loud and I don't want to like give away too much, uh, so, so that people can read it, but it was so like, it just kept getting worse and worse. This <laughs> road trip you were on. And I mean, the way that you were writing it was just so hilarious. And all I kept thinking is as I was re- approaching the end of the story was I need to know where Claudia is today. And you don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. No. And almost like a, almost like a Christmas angel that came into my life for that short period of time (laughs) and then, um, left me, you know, it's always truth is stranger than fiction. So that's the other thing that I learned from, from my first book. And in this one, the truth, obviously these are stories that like I 
remember in my own life. And I've, I change a lot of details and there's of course editorializing and, and there's all that stuff, but usually like the crazier bits of all of this stuff, it's like, that's the stuff that if anything, I think I scale back on, or I learned from my first book, certain family stories where my brother would be like, Oh, you forgot to put this part in. And I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot that that happened on top of all this chaos. And so, um, yeah, the kind of more outlandish stuff. I'm like, if anything, I feel like those parts of the stories are scaled back. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And, and the, um, some of the other pieces, uh, from the book, the bird, the, I learned that you also like me, uh, share a fear of birds. I do not and like birds. I, all I could picture was Linda. Cause you kept saying that the, the pot of water was boiling or you were, and all I could picture was your mother catching this pigeon with a hot pot <laughs> and your dad coming in and asking if that's what's for dinner. And I just was like, all, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was so funny. And, and I felt thank like you. I was in the house with you guys. Oh, thank you. Well, Chris, yeah, you're telling a story about a bird that flew into our house one time when I was home with my mom. And, and I, I mean, I will never forget my mom just when the bird flew in, like the chaos, I mean that, yeah, <laughs> it's like the chaos of having a bird in the house is a lot, um, as it is. But I just, I, I remember thinking it was so funny, even at the time, like watching my mom be so chaotic with the bird in the house. I don't you know, know. Like her going in the room and shutting the door and you just like hearing all ha- the banging and you're like, I don't know what was in there, but it was a brawl. And like, it's, so funny and moms do it all like they do all that shit and they yeah the things the amount of things that moms have to do and really the book too was like a love letter to moms i i mean i don't want to speak for everyone but my mom she puts so much effort into the holidays and i know so many people do too and putting so much effort into that it can cause it, it never goes how you want it to so that's a lot of times what causes a lot of the chaos and the hilarity around the holidays is because whether it's a mom or somebody else in the family, there's usually like one person who's like focused on shepherding the whole holiday season and, and it never is good for them. They always have a a hard holiday. The, whoever's the one kind of in charge of all that stuff. It's like their holiday season isn't so fun. So this book is really dedicated to all those people too, the moms and, or, or otherwise who are kind of those spearheaders of the holiday. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, the chapter about now and then I felt like it was another time where I was like, Danny and I are like living in parallel lives because I very similarly felt like I needed to go to the movie with my then stepsisters because I wanted to, like, I was like, Oh, I don't really want to see that movie, but secretly it was like, I need to see Devon Sawa um, and see this movie because I feel like it's, it's going to be like the movie of my lifetime, which very well could be. Um, but I loved it. And I think it was, I think it was later in the book. I don't think it was that chapter. You also talked about like sort of secretly getting like an out magazine to read the article about like Danny from the real world. Were, were there other times where you were like doing kind of these like secretive, like moves where you felt like I need to portray myself masculine in some kind of way, but really you were like hiding all of this by getting something else. Oh yeah. I mean, all the time. I I think back to my childhood, I grew up in Ohio and I have two older brothers who played sports and kind of fit in those stereotypes of masculinity. And, and I, I just always sort of felt torn. I, I was, 
expected to play sports and I was expected to kind of fill into those roles because I was the youngest and it was just kind of how my family had operated. But then I would have these interests that were a little off-centered or or more feminine or um, there were always times that I wanted to kind of um, go a different way than my two older brothers. And so that was constant. I, I, I look back, I remember, uh, taping over one of my brothers, um, back in the day you had to record something off TV with the VCR and VHS players. And I was obsessed with like recording things off TV and, and having my own sort of multimedia collection. But I remember like taking my brother's tapes and they would have like the Terminator and Karate Kid. And I, there was one time I taped over one of them with First Wives Club. And <laughs> and so even at a young age, I thought I was like sort of hiding those parts of me. But I look back now, it's like, oh yeah, they were mad at me for taping over f- with First Wives Club. Like, of course that I was the gay kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. I I think at the time, I just sort of thought I was fooling them or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I try now to always hold on to that of like, to celebrate the things that I love and not to feel ashamed because for so long in my youth, I would, I would be afraid of liking the things that I'd like. I'd be ashamed that I was um, watching the Rosie O'Shaughnell O'Donnell show every day after school or wanted to see now and then or, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Now yeah, I try I, not to feel guilty about those pleasures. Yeah. And, and that's what was so, you know, I, I felt so, connected in those moments and the way that you were telling that story, because like, for me, it was very similar. Like I also, I had to, I mean, I have all of the like kind of goosebumps series. And of course I read them at the time because I needed to be able to talk to them, uh, talk about them. Look what I got the goosebumps right here. I literally have them right over here. Like all of them. I got a whole collection right here, literally at my desk. (laughs) That's amazing. Sorry. Um, But yeah, it's like I read them because I needed to be able to talk at, you know, the lunch table with my, you know, the guy friends that I had, but also was like hoping that I could secretly find like, you know, a torn up copy of like Babysitter's Club books or like something that I could like read that I felt like a little bit more connected to. And so I really like connected with you in that moment in the now and then story because I think it you're telling your personal story, but there's a lot of people out there that are doing really similar things to sort of hide who they are. And I think like ultimately kind of how you end that chapter. And like, I think it is very, you know, empowering of like, you can be who you want to be. You, you don't, years later, you're still after this now and then book because it still meant something to who you were, but now you were able to be yourself and, and find it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, specifically that chapter is about uh, getting the book version of, of now and then, but even when the movie had come out, I remember just the girls being able to go, my classmates were so easily able to celebrate the movie. And, and I just was in my head as a young kid thinking like, I I want that too, but I didn't want the other boys in class or my brothers or family or whoever to think, Oh, he likes that girly thing. Cause it was so stereotypically um, marketed towards young women. Yeah. But you can't, you don't understand that as a young kid either. You don't understand like, well, why can't I like that? Or, or should I just be uh, confident enough to like it? It's you're doing these mental gymnastics in your head, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I loved growing up. I loved watching and um, O, And I felt like that was one of those things where I was like, I can't tell people that I like it. I like know what's going on. And so if I, if I ever did sort of dip into a conversation about it, it was like, well, like, you know my mom watches it. So I see it or whatever. But, um, 
but my mom and I had like kind of a, an agreement that on Wednesday nights it would come on at 7 p.m. And if I was outside in the neighborhood playing with like the neighbor kids, she would just come out and open the door and say, Chris, it's seven. And that it's was like code for me. Time. Like you're going to come in and watch your show. Chris, um, we are so, we are literally so in sync not to <laughs> bring that because we, my family, we did a sim, we all watched 90210 together. Yeah. Um, you know, even my brothers would too, but I remember my brothers would, they were always like talking about how hot, you know, Gina Kincaid was or whoever. Mm-hmm. And I was, I remember sitting there thinking in my head, like I'm very attracted to Brian Austin green or, yeah. um, remember Kelly's boyfriend. Or what was that guy in the later seasons? He just showed up on it just like that. Um, Daniel Cosgrove was his name, oh, yeah, the yeah. actor. Yeah. But yeah. I remember being so attracted to that man yeah. and just, yeah, in my head the whole time being like, oh my God, I love, I think I love him. Yeah. And, well, and I loved it. And it was my gateway into having Barbies ultimately because they had 90210 dolls. And so I told my mom like, well, I don't want to play with them. I just love the show so much that I like, I need to have them as collector's items. And so I had like those and that was like my gateway into dolls. And ultimately, um, you know, if Donna Martin cut her hair on the show, then I like took scissors to the Barbie. And oh so God, I don't I have that. them anymore, unfortunately, but you know, that might be like my gift to myself at some Christmas is like, I need to find these like, you know, original 90210 dolls. Cause that, that would make me very happy. I've leaned into my collector nature and my office is loaded. I have, I'm, I can't get it. It's out of reach, but I have a Rosie. I'm staring at a Rosie O'Donnell Barbie. I have my JC Chazay doll. <laughs> I have two nanny dolls. Um, oh my gosh. I love it. And I think it's good. I, I obviously wrote about it in the book, but I, I think there is some sort of pleasure as an adult to be able to get some of those things uh, that you wanted or, or um, were emotionally attached to as a kid. I think there is some sort of good thing that happens if you have the money to do it to hop on ebay sometimes this stuff is so cheap but yeah um i love it yeah it, no, but my boyfriend a, hates it because he's like you gotta stop buying junk yeah i know my my husband would probably feel the same like he's like whenever we get something i'm like oh i've got to get that and he's like is that going up in the office is that that's going on your shelf because it's not going anywhere else we have we do have a framed poster of Britney Spears in our garage but I think that that's kind of like my pop culture in the in the main part of the house and then the rest of it's like just in the office yeah um well cool well I I just urge everyone to go get the book on the 24th I mean yes people will have to you know they're gonna get the Britney book they're gonna get Cher's new album comes out the same day her Christmas album what a week you picked some like amazing diva pop culture iconish uh, iconic date to release this. So it, which goes perfectly for you. Um, but I urge and there's a whole chapter it. about Cher's Christmas in the book, yeah, which, um, so there it's a great, they make great sister gifts. Yeah. And you didn't know that the album was coming when you wrote the book. I have to no, assume. No. Right? And yeah. I just recorded the audiobook, and I, I think I, I added like a little line because yeah, I write this whole chapter. Cher didn't ever have a Christmas album. <laughs> and all of a sudden now she has one coming out four days before this book. But um, yeah, there, there happens to just be a, a share holiday chapter. So they make yeah. perfect um, companions. Yeah. So you'll have to make room for the share album alongside NSYNC um, because that is, that's this. my go-to for, for the holiday albums as well. But you know, I will, I will dip into the share. The I share love that she just Chris- called it Christmas. 
that album is going to be fucking insane. And I cannot wait. It's not going to, it's going to be, she keeps saying, she's like, it's not your mom's Christmas album. Like she keeps saying that specifically. And then, yeah, the cover art is right crazy. And also on the leaked cover art, it says uh, featuring the single uh, or featuring the song. Uh, and the song is called DJ play a Christmas song. And I'm like, <laughs> I cannot fucking wait to hear, to be able to listen to DJ play a Christmas song by Cher. <laughs> like, I, I, I cannot mean, wait. Truly I'm buzzing. Like, the maybe the new reason for the season will be Cher. Um, <laughs> and but but I do I say I and I you mentioned it a little bit, but like I do feel like the book is something that you know people can pick up year after year, and that's what's so great is that they're short stories. You don't have to. You could pop around, or if there's just a story that like really resonates with you, you, you know, you can go revisit it time and time again. So it's wonderful that little nuggets, little nuggets. You could pick it up, but read a chapter on the toilet or, (laughs) you know, somewhere. Listen, if you got the audio book, you can listen to one chapter while you're driving to the grocery store. You know, they're easy digestible. Yeah. Uh, It's an easy read. Yeah. And there's detours and footnotes. And so don't miss those because that's oftentimes where some of the like funniest moments in the book are. Um, Thank you, Chris. Thank you. It's definitely something that everyone should get. It's out October 24th, but tell everyone um, kind of like what's next and where can they keep up with you um, so that they don't miss anything Danny Pellegrino. Yeah, please get the book. There's I should also mention there's like a Thanksgiving chapter. There's a Halloween chapter. So there's yeah. some other holidays in there too, but um, it's uh, please, please, please get it. So they let me write another one. Um, but I also have another book called How Do I Unremember This? So it's in paperback now. So if you like the Christmas one, you can go back and get that. I'm on uh, Instagram and social media at Danny Pellegrino. And then my podcast is called Everything Iconic. I'll be touring in October. So um, there's still tickets available to San Francisco, to Nashville. I'm going to be in Nashville right before Halloween. Uh, And then also Cleveland, my hometown. So you can get those at everythingiconic.com and come see me. It's going to be really fun. And we'll talk a lot of Bravo and Housewives on the tour. So it'll be a lot of Bravo stuff. Um, But we have a good time. And Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I think, like I said, I was, it was so thrilled to have you because I feel like oftentimes I'm like reading my own diary, reading yours. So, um, it's, it's wonderful to meet you and to have you on the show. Um, and I will definitely be reading this, continuing this one and then reading, uh, your next one, because I'm sure this one's going to be a New York times bestseller, just like the first. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was truly such a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad we got to chat. Yes, me too. Um, Well, thank you, Danny. And for all of you listening, don't forget to rate and subscribe so that you never miss an episode of The Gist. You can follow me. I'm at CM Vetrano on Instagram, threads, Twitter, TikTok, all the things. Um, But until next week, thanks so much for listening. Wait, Chris, I'm interrupting you again. I'm sorry. Yes, go for it. You just told everyone to rate and review the podcast. And I know podcasters say that a lot, right? Like we all (laughs) say that. But it really does help. So if you're listening to this podcast and you like it, please go leave Chris a nice review, a five star. Don't leave it. If you you don't want to do five star, then you just do something else with your day. But (laughs) it really does help a lot. And it it might be something that takes two seconds and you might not be thinking it's a big deal, but it really helps to get people to listen to the podcast and to share the podcast and helps it uh, grow and all those things. So if you are enjoying Chris's podcast, like take the two seconds. I know it's annoying, pain in the ass, but please do it for Chris. Well, thank you for that. Love that PSA. Appreciate it. Um, But yeah, but until next week, uh, it's Danny and Chris. We're going to sign off and we will, um, you can find us on, on socials. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye.